Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. This is God's Word. Good, beautiful, and true. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that in it you show us who you are, and so you show us who we are in you. I pray as we reflect and meditate on these words written by the Apostle Paul so many years ago, that you would move by your Holy Spirit now and speak to us through it. Open the eyes of our hearts to see the reality of who you are and what you're up to, what you've accomplished through Christ, and what it shows us about who we are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a few years ago, a buddy of mine in Clinton, actually, just down the road, he stopped at a yard sale. He was driving along, he saw this random yard sale, and he saw what he thought was a guitar like in the dirt off to the side. So he decided to stop because he was a guitarist and, you know, if you're a guitarist, you always stop. So he gets out and he goes up and he sees this old dusty guitar, again, sitting in the dirt, literally. When he asked about it, the person who was running the sale said, well, this was bought as a Christmas gift years and years ago, but nobody played it. We put it in the attic, attic and nobody's touched it since. We just found it when we were digging through stuff to go through the yard sale. So there it is. And he said, well, how much is it? And I said, well... Five dollars. It's not worth much. It's old. It's kind of dusty. Five bucks. So my buddy bought it. Bought it for five bucks. My friend bought it and he took it to this guitar tech, this professional guitar technician in Raleigh, to get it checked out. And he discovered that this guitar that he bought for five dollars at a yard sale was one of the uh, original Fender Esquires, the very first guitar that Fender ever made. 1950 Fender Esquire. There's only a handful of them really ever made. This one was all original because it had like literally had the original strings on it, original electronics, and nobody touched it. And it was far more valuable than anybody realized. This guitar that the person doing the art so thought was worth five dollars because it was dusty and stuck up in the attic and forgotten was sold in auction a couple years ago for ninety thousand dollars. Ninety thousand dollars. It's in Japan now, actually. $90,000. Same wood, same strings, same everything that they were looking at there in the dirt in Clinton, and it was worth $5, same everything. When somebody who knew what they were looking at was looking at it was willing to part with $90,000. Because this guitar did not belong in an attic. It definitely didn't belong in the dirt. We looked at this passage the last few weeks, and we saw how Christmas reveals a God who's not coming to get us in condemnation. He's a God that pursues us in grace. He's not, you better watch out, you better not cry. We also saw how Jesus is fully God and fully man. This was last week. 
can bring us a full salvation. And this week, I want to look at this passage one more time for this season to see another essential thing about Christmas, that it shows us who we are and what we're created for. It shows us that we aren't $5 dusty guitars stuck in the dirt. It shows us our true value because it shows us the value that God gives us. I'm going to break this into a couple of different sections. And I'm actually going to use, um, I love the Westminster Profession of Faith, that first question, or the shorter catechism. What's the chief end of man? I say this to myself all the time. That to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Why was I created? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I think those pastors in the 1640s were tapping on something essential about the Christian faith. But it tells us who we are. We live in a world of abuse. We live in a world of sin. We live in a world of darkness. But what were we created for? To glorify God. Glorify it has connotations of shining light, rays shining, illuminating to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So that's actually going to be the framework. So the first section here, we were created to glorify God. Human beings are like mirrors. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but human beings are like mirrors. We reflect what we're pointed to. A mirror, you turn it to whatever it's pointed to, and what you're going to see in that mirror is a reflection of what it's pointed to. Well, human beings are that way. It's part of what it means to be human. It's part of what Scripture means when it says that human beings are created in the image of God. We were created to behold Him, to be turned toward Him, and to reflect Him. To be turned toward Him and reflect what we behold. God's good. He's beautiful. He's true. We are meant to behold this goodness, this beauty, and this truth, and in turn, reflect it as His images. Now, one of the tragedies of sin is that while we still reflect what we're turned to, we have turned from God to lesser things. So we're still like mirrors. We still reflect what is most important to us, what we're turned to, but now we are turned from God who we were created to behold and reflect, to lesser things. This is an emphasis in the Old Testament. If you read through the prophet uh, Isaiah, there's a whole section in the middle of that book where he's talking about idolatry. He's talking about the Israelites creating uh, literal idols out of wood, out of stone. And Isaiah says, you have become like the gods that you worship. You have become what you have worshipped. They are made of wood and stone. They cannot speak. They cannot hear you. They cannot act. You have become people who are deaf spiritually. You have become people who are blind spiritually. You cannot... Uh, <laughs> you have become immobile in righteousness. Cannot act right. You've become like what you're turned to. But the, when God's people are turned to the living God, this is the good news of Isaiah, they can, by God's grace, speak truth, love earnestly, and see rightly because they're becoming like the living God who speaks, who acts, who loves. Now, I don't think any of us are making wood idols or stone idols. But this kind of concept that we reflect what is most ultimate and most important to us is true in our world as well. I could go through a bunch of examples, but take money. Take money. This is a big one in our culture. When money becomes the most important thing to us, we become just like money. We spend our lives, spend, have you ever thought about that term? We say it all the time. We spend our lives chasing after things that waste away into nothing. 
We treat others as worthy only based on what we can get out of them, what we can use them for. And something like money, it becomes the most ultimate thing to us that we're turned to. We become just like fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. Now, one of the wonderful aspects, because that's all bad news, one of the wonderful aspects of the gospel of Jesus is this, that God has reached out to us to be turned to Him again. He's removed the barriers that stood between us seeing Him rightly. And in Jesus, He has revealed Himself the truth. And now we can behold God rightly and truly reflect Him again. The glory that we were created for We can now know and behold the beauty and the truth and the goodness of God and let it shine forth and us reflect it like the rays of the sun bouncing off of a moon. It's possible. Now that reflection, that is all just another description of obedience. Obedience is a word that makes, I think, us wrinkle. We don't like that word obedience. We're Americans. We don't like obeying. We like we're our own people. We do what we want. But all of this, the holy God reflecting Him. This is all another description of obedience. Obedience to God is not Him just giving us a list that we do. It's not Him giving us a list and we check off. Okay, I've done that. Turn my father and mother. Like, it's not just Him giving a list for us to do. Obedience is us copying Him. And not just drawing from Him and ourselves to copy Him, but drawing on the reservoir of His power to live lives reflecting Him. Now, He gives us guidance in this. We find Him in Scripture when He tells us what is wise to walk in. But at its core, obedience is not God saying, you scratch my back by obeying me and I'll scratch yours. It's not a contract. It's us seeing God for who He is and reflecting. Now in Philippians 2, it speaks of Jesus being obedient to the Father, the eternal Son of God taking to Himself the human nature, and as it says, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient. This was Jesus displaying the glory of God by living a life reflecting Him. Jesus in His time on earth as a human being, as one of us, Beholding the truth, the good, the beauty, and the goodness of God, and reflecting that in his life. Now, for Jesus, that obedience led to death. When his obedience faced off against the collusion of religious and political leaders, yet Jesus obeyed because the love of the God, the Father, for him, and what he knew would be accomplished through his obedience, he knew that was more powerful than his fear of what the leaders could do to him. And this obedience in the life of Jesus is Him showing us what it means to be truly human, to pursue true human flourishing, to pursue what is right, what we were created for. And He becomes for us not just an example. He's not just an example for us to follow. He becomes the new fountain of who we are. I talked about it last week when Scripture talks of Jesus as the new Adam or the second Adam. He becomes a new foundation for humanity. And all that was thrown away and lost through Adam, and all of us after him, the futility of the human experience is renewed and remade in Jesus as the new foundation of who we are. And he has opened up the way for 
us to live as true uh, humans. We don't become something else. Following after Jesus is us becoming more and more who we were created to be. And that means he becomes the how and the why of our obedience. We can obey God because Jesus has turned us toward him, allowing us to reflect. And he becomes our motivation for why we want to obey. Not to earn anything. That contract mindset, throw it out now. It's gone. It's part of what Jesus was doing, to remove that out of the equation altogether. We don't obey to earn anything, but we obey because we found in Him something worth chasing, somebody worth copying. So human beings are like mirrors. But we aren't just mirrors, and that brings me to my next section. We weren't just made to glorify God. We were created to enjoy God, to enjoy Him. We aren't just mirrors. Mirrors simply reflect. They have no, uh, at least I don't think so, maybe Pixar will make a movie where like, mirrors have personalities or something, but I don't think mirrors, when they're turned toward anything, uh, like or dislike what they're looking for. They just reflect. They don't delight. But we were made not only to behold God and reflect them like mirrors, but to behold God and to revel in it. To behold the truth, the beauty, and the goodness of God, and delight in that. And find deep satisfaction and joy in our hearts at what we're seeing. As Augustine, a fourth century pastor, once wrote, this is actually the opening of his book, Confessions, which is one long prayer. If you've ever seen this, like that thick. It's one long prayer to God. This is the first line. You have made us for yourself, O God. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. You've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. This is what Augustine is hitting on. That we were made to enjoy God, to rest in who He is. We were made for joy, to find our joy in the God of joy, who is Himself an unending source of delight. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't tend, it doesn't come natural to me to think of God and enjoy in the same sentence. I don't know if this is just something I inherited from the Bible Belt culture we've all kind of inhabited, um, but I think God, more often than not, is, is presented as this dour, angry old man. He's angry when anybody's happy. He's kind of angry at everybody. Grouchy. But friends, God is a God of eternal joy. And the core of who He is, when First John says that, 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 he, that God is love, I am, and who He is, and the, the, the core of His being is the light. And He has created us to enter into that to delight in who He is. And for us to delight in His delight of us. Now through His death for us, His resurrection from the dead, Jesus has removed, I mentioned this earlier, the barriers that have stood between us and God. So we're invited in here and now and into eternity, not just to behold the truth of God, the beauty of God, and the goodness of God, but to love what we're beholding, to enjoy God. And not just to enjoy God, but enjoy God and all things in Him. To learn the, the, the pathway of faith, to develop the muscle memory of tracing our desires to Him. 
The fact that we have desires as human beings are not a bad thing. Now, apart from Jesus, our desires become disordered. We often desire the wrong things, or we desire the right things in a wrong way. We'll make good things ultimate things. We'll think, have things out of order. Our desires become disordered. But as Jesus is working on us, as we are being renewed in this life, the renewal of our hearts doesn't mean we become less passionate or less desiring. It means our desires become renewed and redirected. And so we can entrust our desires to God. He can be trusted. We can entrust to Him our hopes and our dreams about the future. We, and He'll renew them. He'll reform them. We can entrust to Him our pocketbooks and our schedules. We can entrust to Him our sexuality. We can entrust to Him everything. Knowing that He is the God that has created us to be desiring beings that are satisfied with Him. That find rest. All of this is really us just coming to a greater knowledge and experience of his love for us. The author Brendan Manning tells a story of an old Irish priest who's walking around his rural parish one day. And he sees this old peasant kneeling, praying. And the priest is impressed. This guy in the middle of the day who didn't even know the priest was coming is praying. The priest says, you must be very close to God. The peasant looks up from his prayers and thinks for a moment and says, yeah, He's very fond of me. He's very fond of me. That's what it is to enjoy God. To know at the core of who we are, the core of who you are, that God is fond of you. That's too small, actually. It's even deeper that God delights as a I bring up Zephaniah all the time with the passage that pictures God as delighting over his children and singing. And the picture is that when he hears our name, he cannot help but give up and dance. That's God's love for us. That's what it is to enjoy God, to revel in To know that he delights over us. To know that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate you from his love. And if there's any barrier in the way, he's going to remove it. It's got to move. It's got to go. And to know that enjoying God is not just something to be here and now, but it's something that is ours forever. And brings me to my next section. Glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. The last three verses of our passage speak of Jesus being raised to the highest place. Vindicated by God. But this wasn't just Jesus as the eternal Son of God returning to the same place like he finished his rescue mission and now he's going back home. Because Jesus didn't or, or, you know, ascend into heaven apart from the body that he had taken on as one of us. Jesus is now and forever God and man together. And so when Jesus ascends in his vindication to the right hand of God, he does this one of us. When he is raised from the dead, he is raised as one of us. When he is glorified, he's glorified as one of us. And this is a show, a marker, an indication of what awaits us. Think on that for a moment. 
has raised as one of us. He's given the name above every name as one of us. He did this to make a pathway for us and to show us clearly what God destined us for. That's why I put Hebrews 2 in our assurance as part of our passage this morning. It's quoting Psalm chapter 8. But notice what it says about mankind. Mankind was created to be crowned with glory and honor. That's the purpose for which we were made. Not given shame. We were created for glory and honor. Lifted above all creation. The crowning glory of God's creation in this world. The reality of sin and death in our world has short-circuited this. It's obscured the glory that we're created for. So Jesus has come as one of us to overthrow the power of death and to restore to us what we were made for. Philippians 2 speaks of this as Jesus being lifted up. And it looks to a day when the glory of Jesus will be seen and acknowledged throughout all of God's creation. When he'll be recognized as Lord of all. And that glory that Jesus has now and in the future is not one that sets him off from us. As if there's going to be a day when he'll gain his throne and we'll simply be royal servants. We'll praise him into eternity because he's worthy of it. But that glory, that delight, that joy that belongs to him is ours as well by grace. He does not inherit his throne apart from bringing us with him. He does not receive all glory and honor and acknowledgement without saying, these are my people that I'm bringing with me. I could have kept going in Hebrews 2, and it speaks of that. It speaks of Jesus as one of us. It says, the ones who are being made holy, us, and he who is holy are of the same family. And that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters as it keeps going. And so as he inherits this glory, he gives it to us by grace. We join him. The final chapter of your story, of our story together, is that we will be crowned with glory and honor. Lifted up with Jesus. The end of our story is not death and futility. It is eternity. With glorifying and enjoying God. Redeemed to who we were created to be. In the here and now, that leaves us with a call. We have a calling as we are in this world that reflects that future reality. You know, Christians have talked about that a lot, an idea of a calling in the world. And in our country, I think a lot of times Christians talk about things like we have to stand up for righteousness. And it usually means making a public stand, political stand for this thing or that thing. Christians tend to spend time and they spend resources denouncing this thing and that thing. They're convinced that their faithfulness will be measured by the number of things they call out. And how devoted they are in telling people how they're, they're wrong. Now maybe it's a little bit of a caricature, caricature. But I remember a few years ago being in a Sunday school class. And it was just after, I don't know if you'll remember this, when the Boy Scouts had just started accepting openly gay scouts. And so in the aftermath of that, there were a number of churches who had always allowed the Boy Scouts to meet in their facilities. And now these churches were wondering, okay, well, they made this change of policy. Do they need to, we need to close our doors. Boy Scouts can't meet here anymore. They were soaking boots, you know, booting the Scouts out. And I remember my pastor in this Sunday school class was talking about church buildings and the blessing and opportunity that a church building can be to a community. 
He spoke about the idea that, you know, the church building is there for Sunday worship, of course, for church functions, of course, but a building can really be a service to the wider community. You can open a building for people to use, even people you disagree with. He was speaking of church buildings as an opportunity to serve communities. And one man in the church, a member, grew very, very angry. So my pastor was reflecting on this. And he pushed back. He got very, very heated. And he finally erupted with this. But if we let them use a building, they'll think that we think everything they do is okay. When do we get to tell them they are wrong? That's his final line. When do we get to tell them they are wrong? I've never forgotten that. When do we get to tell them they're wrong? His conception, at least in this instance, was that our role as the church in the world is one that starts from a place of opposition, that we are waiting for our opportunity to say you're wrong. That we start from a place of disappointment with those in front of us and anger. But lives live in light of what this passage shows us, and what Christmas shows us. Be true about who we are, lives that are first committed to glorifying and enjoying God. First committed to the good. To quote the Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf, he said, If we only combat the bad, we'll never be done, but we'll become as prisoners. The first and enduring task is to live, celebrate, and enhance the good. I think we must represent Jesus truly when we live sacrificially for the good. When we put our time, our money, and our treasure toward promoting and pursuing the good of others. When we turn to see our whole world through the lens of the gospel, as we turn from the idols of our hearts to the true and living God, beholding Him and reflecting Him and reveling in what we behold, being brought to life in Him, we turn toward others. Not just to denounce what we think is bad, so often, that's just fighting fire with fire, which is always a losing game. Everyone gets both. The living lives that are attent attentive to this will call us to attentiveness in our world. It will call us to look around and to always ask the question, where is the good here, and how can I enhance it? To look around our neighborhoods, to look literally on our streets, and in our cities to find what is good and amplify. Now occasionally this may look like challenging what is wrong, and that's okay. When it comes time to do that, we don't have to shrink from it. But may we never move to a place of just calling out what we see as bad without also offering the good. May we never come from a place of we need to tell them they are wrong, but always come from a place of I was created to glorify God and enjoy Him, and so are you. Over you, when we are dealing with our enemies, people we actually dislike, maybe really hate us, we are dealing with people who were created to glorify and enjoy God. And what they need is not more condemnation. What they need is not more noise and distraction. They need a vision of the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of God. They were made to behold it. They were made like us to reflect. I was created to glorify God in Jesus. So, let's imprint this on our head. It may have 
let's let's go. Well, you know, tattoo parlor's closed today. Let's all get a, get it tattooed right now. I'll cut no, not really. But I'm created to glorify God and enjoy Him. Let's say that together. I am created to glorify God and enjoy Him. You were made for glory. Not shame. Not guilt. You were made for joy. Leave your shame and your guilt with Jesus. Stay taken care of Him. And take, receive from Him joy. That's what He is bringing to us. Father, I thank you for the glory of the gospel. That you have worked through Jesus to restore us to what we were created for. You've made us to be crowned with glory and honor. You have made us to behold you and to love what we see and reflect it. And I thank you that you have worked through Christ to set us on the firm foundation to know that our sins are taken care of so there's no more guilt. Our shame is for you. And you are changing us to be more and more like you by showing us yourself. So continue to do that. By your spirit and in your word, show us who you are, that we may see you, that we may love you. And thank you for the answer to us. Pray this in the name of Jesus.